Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 56 of the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know, you can check out the Peristyle Podcast on peristylepodcast.com. It's our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans, focusing on the football team. This week, we have a very exciting podcast. By popular demand, if you look on the uscfootball.com message boards, there's always requests to hear from USC strength and conditioning coach Chris Carlisle. We will have have him on the show today. Uh, we got about a 25-minute interview with him. I think you're going to really enjoy that. We also have Dan Weike. He's going to be talking about the off-season workouts as uh, the team's heading into spring ball. We are coming to the very end of winter workouts with the team on spring break next week. So things are kind of winding down. We've got a lot of good stuff from that. Uh, there's some position changes. We'll talk about all of that. But first, we're going to talk some recruiting with uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Gerard, what's going on, man? Nothing much. I, uh, for a minute, though, I thought Chris Carlisle's introduction was my introduction, and I was blushing, <laughs> but uh, I, I guess I'm not that uh, important on the message board. No, you're, but, very, uh, you're very important as well. They all love you, Gerard. It's, it's good to be. I'm, I'm leading off, and uh, it's uh, part two of our discussion of the target list. I uh, was cut short. Um, last time we started talking about the 2010 target list. So I've been waiting here all week, anticipating, just ready to, to finish this off. I need closure. You're right. Well, you know, we, we, we try not to cut you off too much, but we were going about 25 minutes last week. And uh, we try to do three segments every show. There's no real time limit. It is a podcast, but I try to keep it around an hour, maybe as much as, much as an hour and 15 minutes. The file sizes start to get a little big. We don't want to be too inconvenient for people that are downloading it to their computer. So we try to keep it in. There's not a set time, you know, there's not a set time limit or anything, but we just try to keep file sizes. So sorry we had to shorten it to but we get to talk to you this week. So that's good. Cool. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> All right. And uh, we, we're going to start off, we're, we're going to talk about. Um, the target list that we talked about last week. Last week we did the 2010, this is the recruiting class of 2010, offensive target list. Uh, we talked about that last week. We're going to talk about the defensive target list this week. But first we do have a question, and if any of you guys have questions out there, guys or gals, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. Drop us an email there. You can also post on the uscfootball.com message boards, but podcast will definitely get to us, podcast at uscfootball.com. We had a question, a recruiting question from Steve, and uh, he wanted to know, he was talking about the offensive line recruiting, which we talked a little bit about uh, last week. Back in 2008, USC signed five kids, but a couple of them aren't in there with Campbell and Meyer, so there's only really three. Um, 2009, they went for three or four, only got two. Um, in 2010, it looks like they're going to shoot for about four guys or so. Uh, I mean, but there's, it seems to be when you're recruiting the offensive line, a lot of the guys redshirt. There's, it just takes a while to find out if the guys that you've signed and you get them on campus are actually players. There can be a bit of a revolving door. How do, how do the coaches go through this? It, it's got to be tough, George, to evaluate these guys and figure out what kind of numbers you need to bring in on the offensive line. No, it is difficult, and a lot of what's going on on your team present day affects what you do with recruiting. I mean, last year, 
USC was really focused on three guys. I mean, that was kind of what they were comfortable with taking. And obviously they got uh, Kevin Graff, his commitment really early. And they felt like, all right, you know, we got two guys to go. We'll be good. And I think it maybe changed a little bit at the last minute uh, with news that Matt Meyer was never going to play football again with his foot injury. And I think that opened it up to maybe a fourth guy. And USC kind of later in the process came back on Stanley Haziak from Hawaii. And they were, I think, willing to take four because they felt he was good enough to play there. Um, but it does it does shift, and there is a little bit of leeway uh, how you start the year recruiting offensive linemen and how you end the year. I think – the general rule is always that when you're looking at linemen, you're looking at more defensive linemen than you are offensive linemen. Because defensive linemen can always move over to the offense. Uh, they're athletic. If they're big enough, um, you have some some areas that you can push guys in. Uh, maybe like a guy like uh, Derek Simmons, who we've seen actually move back and forth now. Uh, we learned this week from uh, offensive line, or excuse me, defensive line to offensive line, offensive line back to defensive line. Uh, we've seen that with Alex Parsons, uh, even you know Butch Lewis. He started out fall camp playing defense to tackle and now is on the offensive line so you always want to try to take a little more defensive linemen because they're a little athletic uh, if you get a guy that's an offensive lineman and doesn't work out he kind of sits there it's maybe dead weight a little bit on the roster so um, it's it's that's uh, gives you a little leeway but in general yeah you've got to look at these guys you've got to evaluate linemen I think a little slower in the process I think you have to wait let these guys develop physically there's a lot of kids out there right now 6'6 six, six, 320 pounds there's a lot of baby fat in those kids those kids are not really in shape USC 10 to go for guys who are 300 pounds, sub-300 pounds, and want to bring them into the program and build them up. And I think that's the better way to do it. But you got to bring guys into camp. you got to look at them. you got to see what they can do physically. And honestly, I think through the years, and every team goes through it, you have injuries pop up with the offensive line. Tides or shoulders are no good. Uh, they have back problems, uh, knee problems. That tends to be very uh, significant on the offensive line. You see that happen more on the offensive line because uh, these kids are so big at this young age. I think the, the, the size of their bodies just stresses them out a little more so you've got to be very careful about that and when you get to see them in person you get to look at them uh, ask them some questions and get you know a better review of, of who they are and kind of what injuries they've had and see their knee bend and see their feet and things like that I think that's very important for the offensive line so uh, in general uh, I, I think yeah it's a position that is always in flux and if you really want to be sold and solid with guys you've got to see them in person first and you really got to work them out all right that makes sense Gerard and if you look at the current state of the offensive line i mean there was a ton of i think it was was it the class of 2007 or two, I, there was a whole bunch of guys from the defensive line that were recruited in the same year that all ended up on the offensive line yeah yeah that, i think that was 2007 and that's i mean that's kind of um you know it, butch it, lewis and there's a whole bunch of guys from that group Alex that, parsons you get you, you get a feel for guys you get to see him in certain situations around the defensive line and sometimes you know you just watch a guy and he jumps out and you go wow you know that guy would be really great playing guard. And that's something that USC does a really good job of in the camps because you'll see Pat Rule line offensive linemen up at different positions. And people who don't know better, you'll see a guy playing left tackle and everybody will go, oh, wow, you know, you start getting reports from the camps. Oh, he's playing left tackle, so he must be a left tackle. He was playing center, so it must mean that USC likes him as a center. No, not necessarily. It just means they want to put him in a certain position so they can see certain weaknesses or certain strengths to his attributes. If you put a kid out there at left tackle – you're going to see him have to block in space, and you're going to see what his feet are like. You're going to see what kind of kickback he has. You're going to see if he's stiff. And that may be nothing. You may want him to actually be a guard, but you want to see him isolated in that spot and blocking with certain techniques. Then you get a better you know, kind of project what he's going to look like when you move him inside. So that's another reason why camps are so important for linemen. 
All right. And if you guys, if you, anyone wants to come out, this uh, starting March 28th, uh, USC football, they have spring practice. It's wide open. You know, Pete Carroll encourages people to come out. We will, of course, be down there at every single practice, video, photos, interviews. We'll do podcast stuff from down there. We'll have a ton of information coming out of there. And you got to watch. you got to watch the linemen because there's so much stuff going on. People get moved around. You're going to see Jeff Byers play a lot of center because Chris O'Dowd's going to be out. So if, I mean, if you're a big USC football fan, this is a really exciting time coming up, spring football at the end of March. There's lots of stuff going on, and there will be a lot of movement, I think, on the line. You get to play with some different people. And even a guy like Martin Coleman who – you know, he could have a huge impact where his first couple of years, you know, because he came out and he graduated from high school early, been hurt and stuff. You haven't really seen much of him, but boom, all of a sudden you could have a guy like that come out of nowhere who's been around the program, just haven't been able to contribute and then be a big part of it all of a sudden. You know, the real incentive in coming down to spring ball. What is it, Gerard? To meet Dan Wakey. Yes, you can meet Dan. Uh, we are going to talk to him. We had him. We didn't have him on last week. And, uh, you know, we apologize for the Harvey Hyde fans out there. He got he would Harvey Hyde got really good reviews. And our um, we got we got feedback from a lot of the people on the podcast, but he's in Las Vegas and uh, he wouldn't be coming back till late on Wednesday. We wanted to try and record this as early as possible on Wednesday because Wednesday's my girlfriend's birthday. So I have <laughs> I have plans. Uh, so I couldn't, you know, so I couldn't really do too much. So we apologize. Hyde will be, Coach Hyde will be back next week. That's a poor excuse, but OK. I know. Happy birthday, Jana. But everyone else. We do have Gerard, we have Dan, and of course we have Chris Carlisle. So I think you're going to have a really good show this week. And uh, I just, Gerard, let anyone know, I sent out about 25 T-shirts out this week. A whole bunch of people that sent in feedback. I tried to send T-shirts to just about everybody that sent in some feedback. So uh, we sent a whole bunch of T-shirts. So there'll be some win forever, USAfootball.com shirts in the mail. Check your mail if you're a, a fan of the podcast, and uh, you should see your shirt soon. Are you asking me if I got one? Because I didn't. No, no, I, you got one already. I think, bro. Come on. No, no, no. I'm only I'm I'm winning for just a certain amount of time. I, I I'm evidently not winning forever. So. All right. Okay. Well, let's get to the 2010 defensive target list. Uh, this is a list that Gerard puts together. Updates it about once a month. Um, and it's it's color coded. It's nice. You got the the rivals 100 guys and Cardinal the. Rivals 250 watch guys in gold and everyone else and, you know, who they're still evaluating. And he lists it, you know, what kind of interest in USC, if they have an offer and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we went through all the offensive players last week. Let's start with some of those defensive linemen this week that could end up on the offensive line. Who knows? We could get moved around. Not too many offers out, Gerard. There's a couple of guys like Powell and Jeffcoat, you know, Ronald Powell and uh, Jackson Jeffcoat. Couple guys like that have offers, but not too many yet on the defensive line. No, and USC's got a pretty good defensive line right now, so they've recruited well, especially at defensive end the past few years. And uh, the two big dogs, you know, out of the box are, are definitely Jackson Jeffcoat and Ronald Powell. Both those guys had offers uh, last fall. Uh, Jackson Jeffcoat is the son of T uh, Jim Jeffcoat, who played for the Dallas Cowboys a number of years ago. Is now actually an assistant coach at Houston University. And uh, Jim Jeffcoat, you know, played with uh, Ken Norton Jr. So there's a little bit of a, a Trojan tie there. Um, USC coming hard after him. He's 6'5", about 230, 240. And it 
this point kind of looks a little more like a strong side defensive end in the 4-3. Uh, he's a big kid, athletic, great lateral movement. He really uses his hands well. Technically, he's a very good uh, defensive lineman. He really gets off of blocks well, sheds well, uh, plays a little high sometimes, but I mean, he's an athlete and he can kind of get away with it at this point. And, um, you know, that's, that's going into Texas's uh, home turf there in Plano, and uh, it's going to be a battle. I mean, UT definitely wants them, and, and they've offered them, and they're trying to get them down for junior days and as many unofficial visits as possible. Um, but he does want to take an unofficial visit to USC this spring. He'll probably show up either for a practice or maybe the spring game. So we'll have to see, you know, how how things kind of go from there because that's really the start-off point. I mean, at this point, it's all talk. And uh, it's it's all well, you know. I mean, USC's got a little bit of ties here with Ken Norton. Ken Norton is obviously a phenomenal recruiter everywhere. I mean, Texas and in the city and everywhere he recruits. But it's difficult because you know you got Devon Kennard last year. Uh, you got Jeff uh, James Boyd. You you got a lot of good players at that position. So we're gonna have to see how the depth chart, um, you know, stacks up with with Jackson Jeffco. Uh, Ronald Powell's the local kid. Probably at this point, maybe the best athlete that we've seen in the 2010 class in California. Um, he's just a monster. He could play t- tight end. He could play defensive end. Uh, he's very athletic. He's still a little raw, but uh, to be honest with you, I mean, he's he's so productive at this point. Even though he's raw, it's pretty hard to imagine, especially even playing receiver. <laughs> we saw him at the football university camp uh, a few weeks ago, and there was just no competition for him on the defensive line going against the offensive lineman. There was none. So he ended up actually volunteering to flip over and play a little receiver, and he did really well. I mean, a lot of the top players there singled him out as the top player and a guy that uh, was just really hard to guard. I mean, 6'3", 240. He was a guy, I mean, we've, we've, we've known about him since he was a freshman. And, you know, early on he kind of looked like, well, maybe he's a guy that's going to maybe build into a three-technique defensive tackle. But he's matured. He's leaned out. He's really good-looking, really chilled out, just, just chiseled and, 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 and kind of just has that look about a guy that, man, could come off a two-point stance and just just catapult into the quarterback. That's the kind of guy he looks like right now. And and he's got offers from everywhere. He's become a national recruit. Um, and he became a national recruit basically when he started opening his actual letters. I mean, he we walked into the to tell you a little story. We walked into uh, to Rancho Verde, the coach's office is there, and I was there with Jeremy Crabtree and Rick Kimbrell, our, our West Coast editor, and uh, known Ron for a while. So we were palling around the locker room and, and kind of BSing. And and I see this stack of of letters on the file cabinet. And I asked uh, Coach Pete Duffy, who's the head coach there, I said, hey, Duff, man, I mean, what's up with all these letters? Is this, is this like Eric's? Is this, are these your other kids, your seniors? I mean, is this all the letters for, like, this week? He said, no, this, those, those are Ron's letters. I said, Ron, what are you doing? Dude, you got a stack of letters? What is this, from, like, the whole year? And he's like, no, that's this week. Oh, and so wow. I was like, dude, I was like, bro, <laughs> sit down here for a second and go through these letters for me. I want to see what who's who's sending you letters. So we go through it. He's got Alabama. He's got Notre Dame. He's got LSU. He's got none of these letters open. And Jeremy Crouchy and I laugh. We're like, bro, you need to open some of these. He might be scholarship offers. You never know. <laughs> and, she, and sure enough, as he started opening stuff up, he's, he's Arizona State. He's got scholarship offers there. So, you know, when he's boarding class, you know, here and there, sometimes he'll open some of these letters up. And, and then, you know, next thing you know, he's got a new offer. So, it's uh, it's funny. I mean, he's definitely uh, a big time recruit at this point, and everybody's going to be after him. And you know, the same things with Jackson Jeff Coat as far as the hurdles that USC has to to sign him. Those are there too. He loves USC. 
we'll just see if the if the depth chart and they can't just they got to make a plan for him and, and show him that you know he can get on the field and he's good enough to compete with anybody they've already signed. But um, those are definitely the two front runner guys. Uh, Cassius Marsh now on the defensive side uh, as a tackle is the only guy with an offer right now. Uh, he's at uh, you know uh, Oaks Christian, which is the big time school up there in Westlake Village. They got a million Division One recruits. It seems like every year for a very small school. Um, you know he's got an offer. He liked USC a lot early and then went down for the junior day. And it seems like his mom was a little uneasy with uh, where USC is located in terms of, um, you know, location and, and its surroundings. I mean, you come from Westlake Village, it's a little bit of a culture shock, you know, going down to USC. It's in the city. And I think that's been a little bit of an issue. He's looking at UCLA. He's looking at Cal at that point. He talked about that being his top three. Um, he's also mentioned maybe Cal is actually a leader. It'll be interesting to see kind of how it plays out and how early he wants to decide. Um, USC, I think, is a childhood favorite. I think he really wants to play at USC, but, you know, there are other circumstances and other things that he's going to have to look at that will factor in his decision. And, you know, if, if his family has influence at this point, it seems like they're kind of pushing him away from USC. Uh, so, He's got a scholarship offer um, on the defensive line. There, there are other prospects. There's you know always tons of prospects to talk about, but I think at this point, kind of narrowing it down, those are the guys that have uh, the scholarship offers, and those are the guys that USG's already kind of going after hard. All right, and then uh, linebackers. Definitely, there's not many offers out there. I think there's only one one offer that I can see out there so far with linebackers. It was an interesting linebacker class for the for 2009. Obviously, two of the bigger names on the board. Did not end up signing with USC, and I think USC kind of expected to get those guys. Uh, what do you think is going on in this linebacker class? USC is taking their time. Um, they definitely want to get some numbers, but they want to get quality here. And this is a – it's an okay year for linebackers. I haven't seen many guys that really stack up with some of the best players last year. Still kind of looking for some of those guys that are just uh, – that have that really special ability that you watch on film. Um, at at this point, a lot of people argue that uh, Kyrie Ford, uh, 6'2", 220-pound outside linebacker from uh, Stanford, Connecticut, is actually the top guy in the class. And USC's already, you know, recruiting him and contacting him, and, and they've been talking a little bit. There's a possibility he gets an offer. Um, but at this point, that's kind of like the guy that a lot of people are pushing. Um, Haynes Plort, who's a, a local kid from Crenshaw, is kind of the biggest name, uh, at least, you know, in, in the Southern California area. Uh, the guy that's down in San Diego is a guy with all the offers, and that's Chula Vista, is Tony Jefferson. Now, he's a little smaller, uh, whereas Haynes is, you know, almost about uh, probably about 220, 225, about six foot. Tony Jefferson's six foot, and he's about 195. So he's. A little bit, a little more like a safety, um, but you know USC went after hard. Uh, they they love Frankie Telford, and they got Frankie Telford last year. Frankie Telford's about five eleven, one ninety. So playing that will position, there's a possibility a guy comes in. He's he's not really the biggest guy. He's just got to be a playmaker. He's got to be fast. He's got to be athletic. And those are the kind of guys you want to plug in at that spot. So you know Tony Jefferson is is a guy that's phenomenal on tape. He's a hitting machine. And you even watch him on offense. And USC even and, and said to him, you know, you basically recruiting you as an athlete because we really like what you do at running back as well. So that's a guy who's just um, kind of all over the place with his ability and his versatility. He can kind of play anywhere. Um, some of the bigger names out of state that are getting some looks, um, Jeff Luke um, out of uh, Port St. Lucie's, Florida, 6'1", about 230 pounds, more of an inside linebacker. 
phenomenal tape. Uh, he's claiming a USC offer. It seems like the offer's kind of in the works. Uh, we've been talking to his coaches, and his coaches are kind of uh, him and Hunter, whether he really has an offer yet. Uh, but USC's definitely recruiting him at this point. Jordan Hicks does have an offer, just got an offer last week. Um, he's a uh, about 6'2", 210 outside linebacker from Westchester, Ohio. Uh, a lot of people feel like he's a lean early to Texas, and we'll kind of see how that goes. Talking to him, I think Ohio State's still definitely going to be a player a little bit for him, and, and you know him staying close to home but there's a possibility also that uh, uh, you know his family actually moves with him um, you know after high school so there's, there's some guys there and it's, it's just it's been a slow process but I think USC really wants to get the best guys and they really got to evaluate these guys more to know you know who are the guys that are pretty good and who are the guys that are the SC level guys because the standard at USC's recruiting for linebacker over the past few years is very high. No, certainly you got to agree with that. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it would be interesting. I don't know if they were a little, uh, just you know, snake bit or just a little gun shy maybe after losing two of the bigger names from the uh, 2009 class at linebacker. So maybe they're just holding off on some of those offers. I guess sounds like that's what they're doing. Well, it's one of those things where I mean, when you watch tape of, of guys like Vontez Burfict and Manti Tail, two of the best players last year. Last year was just a really good year for linebackers, and you're wanting to see those level guys. You're looking for that film of a guy that's just like, wow, he, oh, that's the guy right there. That's that's the number one linebacker. And last year it seemed like, you know, there was there was tape coming out every couple of weeks of a guy that, you know, people were saying, oh, that's the best linebacker. No, that's the best linebacker. And there was argument. This year, it's argument, but for the other reason, there's just nobody who seems to be coming out and grabbing it that has that film that everybody just goes crazy over that just, oh, man, the guy's a hitting machine, and he's got the legitimate size. That's the big thing. It's like there's a lot of kids that come out, and they're, legit, they're listed at 6'2", and then they end up being six foot. And that, that's another reason why you sometimes just got to see kids in person at the linebacker position because USC, I mean, you got Ray Maluga, 6'2", 250 pounds. You got Brian Cushing, 6'3", 6'4", 240, 250 pounds. You got Clay Matthews, 6'3", 240 pounds. I mean, you know, by the time that Kaluka Maria – uh, ended up graduating from USC was 5'11", 235. These are big guys. You know, these, these are guys that you're used to seeing out there. Luther Brown, Chris Gallipo, these are guys who are all 6'2", going to that 6'3 range. So you want to continue to recruit that size because that's what your scheme's been dependent on, you know, the past few years, and they've been really good defensively. So that's what you're looking for at this point. It seems like, wow, this guy, he's really fast, he's really athletic, but he's six foot, so eh, it doesn't really fit the mold. Or this guy's 6'3", and he's, and he's 220, but He's slow. So you're trying to find that guy with a combination of both. Makes sense. All right. And that's uh, the last group, defensive backs. Um, a couple of guys I've seen at the top of the list, uh, Dietrich Riley, I've seen him at some of the camps. And he's also, you know, he's, he's definitely gets a lot of attention out of La Cunata. And uh, Sean Parker from Narbonne High School, I think he's up to 20-something offers already. So he's been, uh, he's been getting a lot of attention in the recruiting world. But those are just a couple of the guys that are at the top of the list. I mean, just, I guess overall for defensive backs, I mean, they – I had a good defensive back class in 2009. There's a lot of guys on the team already. What are they looking to sign in 2010? It was a great year for defensive back in 2009, and we're going to have to see kind of how that plays out, I think, until we get a real understanding of what the numbers are going to be uh, for this year's class. Dietrich Riley is a guy that they went on really early. He's been camping at USC since he was like eight years old. And when we saw him, you could just see a little something, that glimmer in his eye, that competitiveness. Wasn't the most athletic guy, wasn't the biggest guy, but there was something about him that was like, you know, 
I get why he gets an offer. I see why Pete Carroll likes him. And then we see him for fast forward, you know, almost a year there to the National Underclassman Combine uh, in San Antonio, and he's bigger, he's stronger, he's just, he just looks like a completely different player. He's developed. He's one of those guys that's really developed. And now you go, wow, he was one of the best defensive backs at the whole combine against a very good group of receivers and really with a very good group of defensive backs. And he doesn't really play a lot of defensive back. He doesn't understand defensive back drills and, and backpedaling. I mean, he plays safety, plays rover, but he doesn't really focus on it. He's really more of a running back at St. Francis High School in La Cunada, and that's kind of what he's known for. But he really, really came – I mean, he kind of like just, you know, made his self known there. He actually went over – started his drills at the running backs, did that for, you know, a couple couple uh couple reps and then snuck over there to the defensive backs and actually called out Marquise Ambles. And Marquise Ambles had been just destroying people in the whole morning morning session, decided to come back for the afternoon session because he's just such a crazy competitive competitive kid and Somehow, some way, he got Riley's attention, or Riley got his attention, and they went at it. And Riley held his own, more than held his own against Marquis Tamples. He did a really good job, and th- that's when you see, wow, okay, the guy that we saw that had potential, that kid now, you see, he has more than potential. There's results, you know. And, and so he's a guy that's a safety. He's really high on USC. We'll see if you know UCLA or other Pac-10 school can kind of sway him, but it really seems like he's focused on SC right now. Um, Sean Parker is a guy who's big-time safety, had three interceptions for touchdowns last year, um, and we got to see him at the football university uh, camp also at the Coliseum a few weeks ago. And what we got to see at that camp is him play boundary corner, strong safety, free safety, and just like Byron Moore, his former teammate from Narbonne, he plays every position well. He could play anywhere, and that's going to be really valuable for him because it doesn't really matter what school he goes to. He could go to a school with just a crappy depth chart and probably play right away, but he could go to a good school, a school like USC, a school like Florida, LSU. I don't even know how many. He's probably got offers from all of them, Um, and and he could probably find himself on the field because he knows those positions. He's not a real big safety. He's not, you know, T.J. McDonald, Taylor Mace type guy. He's only about six foot, maybe uh, 195 pounds. Uh, maybe not even, maybe probably not even six foot, probably more like five eleven, and so he kind of he looks a little more about a corner. But man, the guy can hit. You know, he's definitely got uh, a little bit of that. Uh, you know, that little dynamo guy that comes in and just comes out of nowhere and just lights people up. I mean, he even took a piece of uh, Ronald Powell a little bit in the non-contact uh, drills at the football university camp. So I mean, he's uh, he's an aggressive kid and he really sees the field well. Has great awareness, great technique. So he's a guy that's kind of that wild card guy that, uh, like Byron Moore, you can kind of take and say, all right, you know, we're going to put you in Nick we're going to put you a corner wherever you can get on the field and help us first that's where we're going to put you and he's going to be probably as good anywhere on the field so uh, those are guys that you know had some early offers um just recently ronnie vinson uh who's a running back slash corner slash defensive back and from new orleans uh got a scholarship offer which was interesting because he got a scholarship over offer before trevon reed uh who's really thought of as being the best player in louisiana this year and uh with vinson He's a little. I think he's a little more known uh, for his defensive pack skills, and I think that's probably why USC went on him first. And he's got some family out here. He's, he's got an aunt in Santa Monica and stuff, so he's really excited about coming out here and checking it out. And he's really, you know, interested in USC. So we'll have to see how that kind of develops. But you know, defensive back uh, class this year. I mean, USC can afford to kind of pick and choose because they did get a great uh, class last year. All right. Well, Gerard, we really appreciate your time. And if anyone wants to see the 
full target list. They're up on uscfootball.com. Um, they probably they're off the front page at this point, but you can click on latest headlines more, and you'll see them uh, from about a week or so ago. But thank you very much for your time and sharing all the thoughts on the uh, defensive guys for the class of 2010. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone else, we'll have a really short break. 30 seconds, we'll be back with Dan Weike. And, of course, later on the show, as promised, we're going to talk with strength and conditioning coach for USC, Chris Carlisle. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. And as we promised, we have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weike joining us in this segment. Dan, how are you doing, man? Good. I'm glad that you promised everybody that I'm going to be on. I appreciate that. That's nice. And then you deliver. Yeah, promise. <laughs> promise and deliver. And just so you know, I mean, we didn't get to talk to you last week but we did get a lot of the feedback in and there was a lot of positive feedback for mr dan wikey so you should be proud of yourself i know a lot of people and i have deep pockets basically <laughs> that's that's how that plays out so. very nice very nice and uh, we sent out a bunch of t-shirts to everyone that sent in feedback and you're always welcome to uh send us comments or questions podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address well dan we do have a few questions for you coming in, so I don't know if we've had. Have we had questions for you before? Um, I think I think you've had questions for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that users have had. A, right. I don't think I've answered any user questions quite yet. Right. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. So we, we do have a few of those, a couple of those coming in, so we'll do that. But uh, just to let people know, uh, winter workouts is winding down, and we're going to talk to uh, Coach Strength and Conditioning Coach Chris Carlisle in the next segment uh, all about that. Um, this is the eighth week of winter workouts this week currently, and then they have spring break and then another week off, I think, before, uh, you know, they'll do some more workouts before heading into spring football. Um, yeah, Dan, did you see anything? It was an interesting uh, players-only practice yesterday on Tuesday. Did you see anything interesting? It looked like uh, they're kind of ready to get spring break going already. Yeah, it was, you know, it was fun. They, 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 they're still moving around with, like, good spring in their step and they're still good intensity and good energy and the team's having fun um but i thought the thing that was most interesting that we saw yesterday was the position changes are starting to take take shape a little bit you're starting to get kind of a feel for maybe what this defensive line could look like next year and i think it was something that obviously is going to surprise a lot of people um armand armstead a guy who looks like a tackle i mean recruited as a defensive tackle i mean Looked like he was going to be maybe potentially the the favorite to start at defensive tackle. Um, is not going to play defensive tackle. He's going to play strong side defensive end at least. That's what it looks like. That's what he said. They're going to look at him there. And moving to defensive tackle, then um, I guess a, a guy who said it was his decision um, was Derek Simmons. Was a guy who switched back. He said he was always a defensive player at heart. 
he's a guy now who's going to move back to the defensive side of the ball from the offensive line. So, I mean, those those two moves are really interesting, kind of really shake things up and really kind of add, I think, more to the competition on the defensive line um, in, in the spring. Yeah, we talked to, to Gerard Martinez in the last segment about it, and you know, he he mentioned the same thing with Derek Simmons. I mean, he's a guy that switched back and forth and back again. We've we've seen that a little bit, and sometimes a, a, a move in the spring doesn't always mean it's permanent. But you know, talking to Armand yesterday, what did you feel like? Did he feel like something he wanted to do, or is the coaches, or how did that work out? Um, you know, I mean, we talked, and he's saying the right things right now. Like as far as like you know, two reporters. Um, he's saying that, you know, it was a coach decision, but, you know, he's cool with it. He thinks he can do it. He knows that if they have confidence in him, um, you know, that he's got confidence that he can do it. Um, the feeling I got from talking to him, and this is just me being, you know, knowing people, I guess, is that, you know, I think he's excited. I think it's a chance to make more plays. And I, I think he's excited about that. And I think that he's up for the challenge to, to, to get, get out there and, and do something like that and to be, on the edge, you know, things that, you know, we were talking after the interview, one of the interesting things that he said to me was that, you know, he can't remember getting outrun on a play. You know what I mean? That he, he's never been just left by a guy. And, you know, I would think, you know, with all the fast guys that he's had to practice against, you know, in his year on campus that, you know, maybe C.J. Gable or, or Joe McKnight or, you know, any of those guys would maybe turn a corner and just leave him. But he said that, you know, he's always maybe, you know, it's, maybe it's instinctually, maybe it's his actual, his athleticism. More than likely, he just takes really good angles on guys. And, and you know, and he feels like he can get out to the edge and he can stop a guy. You know, he can do that. He can get around a, a tackle and do that type of stuff. You know, obviously there are going to be questions about his technique. Like, that's going to be the biggest thing, I think, the biggest hurdle for him. But I have a feeling that, you know, there's a chance there for him to, if he succeeds, I, I think that's a chance for him to be kind of the, big, you know, three-down kind, kind of defensive end, a guy that they can keep in. Or the other option is that he can be a first and second down guy and run situations at defensive end. And then you bring in a guy like Malik Jackson, Malik Jackson pardon me, you know, who's more of a pass rusher uh, in passing situations. That's another option, too. All right, so it looks like there is a little bit of shakeup on the defensive line, but I guess the one constant's going to be uh, Everson Griffin. Um, you know, you did a story on him about kind of emerging as a leader. It looks like he's kind of, you know, he didn't uh, let that fall by the wayside. He's he's still trying to be that leader out there on the defensive line. Try, yeah, I was going to say, I think trying to is, is is the right way to look at it. I mean, he still has some, <clears throat> excuse me, he still has some demons, I think, uh, I mean, that are going to kind of follow him. I mean, <clears throat> players know what kind of practice guy he was for much of last year, kind of an inconsistent effort guy. And I, I say that with all, with all respect to Everson. I mean, I think he's a tremendous athlete. But, I mean, even he'll admit that, you know, there were times when he didn't practice as hard as he needed to practice. He got maybe a little complacent. And I think that, I mean, if there's one thing that doesn't fly at USC, it's that. And, you know, I think that there are still guys that, that remember that stuff. And it's going to be harder for him to be a leader um, with that kind of reputation still where guys are going to say, you know, if, if Everson points something out to the, to somebody maybe in the back of their mind they're like you know what who does this guy think he is why i mean this, this is the same guy who a year ago you know what i mean what wasn't maybe running hard between plays and stuff like that who, what right does he have to, to tell me to hustle you know what i mean that that that's going to be kind of his challenge as a leader and the only way that he can he can shake that is on the practice field i mean that's the only way he can he can get rid of that is by 
by becoming a better practice player and stuff like that. And I think he's committed to that. Yeah, it looks like he's starting to put his time in now and, uh, you know, establish himself as a leader. But, you know, like you said, until spring ball starts and they see that he's working harder than any of, you know, his teammates on the defensive line, I think that's where you kind of earn the respect. We actually had uh, – we got a lot of good uh, stuff from the, the players-only practice yesterday on Tuesday. Uh, the coaches had a little conditioning workout at three. They have to leave the field, then the players take over. They did some 11-on-11s. They did 7-on-7s. They did a lot of one-on-ones. We have video of all of that. We got some really interesting stuff. Uh, Stanley Havili grabbed the video camera. He shot a couple of shots for us. We have Aaron Corp and, and Garrett Green covering each other one-on-one as receiver and defensive back. So we got a lot of interesting video from that. And, and, with, and the with a dark horse at quarterback, Brandon Carswell. Yeah, Carswell. It was pretty funny. Him throw. He, he threw the ball pretty well, too. He put some nice... He had some nice touch on the ball. Uh, and also, you know, we got a lot of interesting video interviews with uh, Michelle Phelan and uh, Emily Nerland. They do a great job for us interviewing a lot of the players afterwards. We got Everson Griffin with the shirt off, and he's an impressive uh, looking figure there on camera. You can check that out. And also, they were interviewing Alan Bradford, and Stefan Johnson came in and did a, a little guest interview. So, check USCFootball.com. We got a lot of interesting video and some more stories and stuff coming up from yesterday's practice. It was, it was a pretty fun one, Dan. Yeah, it was. You know, I mean, it's. I like when the guys kind of get goofy and stuff like that. It makes. I mean, it obviously, it makes it more fun for us. And it's the thing that I like best about about coming to this team is that they can do that, and it doesn't affect how they work. I mean, it's not like, you know, Stephon Johnson stepping out of reps to, to you know to go interview, you know, AB on camera. Like, it's not like that. You know, it's it's as they're walking up the field and stuff like that. You know, I mean, those guys are. Are they're gracious with their time? They kind of enjoy it, and you know they see it as an opportunity that you know they always like to make each other laugh and try to crack each other up during interviews. Like you know, Mitch Everson shirtless. Um, you know there were guys that noticed that, and they were kind of giving him a hard time about being on camera shirtless. And but yeah, no, he does look huge. Um, I mean, he, he he's such such an athlete. I think that's like to get back to. To kind of him from it. And I think that's where some of the frustration comes from is like you look at a guy like that and you hear the coaches talk about his athleticism and how special of an athlete he is and, and you wonder you know is this the time where he puts it all together I mean you know can can, there, can this be the right time for him so I mean I mean you're, you're hopeful I guess as a USC fan that that Everson gets his kind of I don't want to say his act together because I don't think it's that big of a problem but that he kind of puts everything, gets everything right and, and starts living up to his potential, you know. Um, a real interesting side note uh, that I want to get to, too, um, per the defensive line, another interesting maybe reason for the switch, and this is just pure conjecture on my part, is that this also could open up the door for Avril Spicer at, at, at three technique. Um, and what that would do is that would put another veteran on the defensive line um, when, you know, if, if they're looking for more experience in front, I mean, now all of a sudden you've got, you know, a defensive line potentially of Everson Griffin, Christian Tupo, Avril Spicer, and, you know, Armand Armstead potentially. And that's a lot different than a defensive line that's Everson Griffin, Christian Tupo, Armand Armstead, and Malik Jackson just as far as experience goes. I mean, when you when you add a guy like Spicer into that mix, I mean, a guy who's been through battles and, and stuff like that. And another third random tangent on this, I'm just, my mind all over the place right now, is that... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, is that Spicer knows Jethro Franklin and is you know was was you know has worked with Jethro Franklin before, um, just like Derek Simmons, I believe, was recruited by Jethro Franklin. 
So I, I think that's, you know, another little interesting uh, side note to all of this stuff. Yeah, and I think part of the reason that you could say Simmons switched over, Franklin really did like him. And so, you know, now that he's back, I think he probably, you know, we don't we didn't talk to him yet about it, but I'm, I'm sure he uh, championed to get him back on the – Simmons back on the defensive line. So we will see. But it'll yeah. be interesting spring battles. We will be down there. Dan will be down there every practice. So will I. We'll be – doing videos, a lot of interviews, lots of reporting from down at spring football. Nobody covers USC football like uscfootball.com. So if you if you like USC, you like football, spring football is like a season into itself. So check it out and definitely come down there. Pete Carroll welcomes fans to come down and watch. So check out our coverage. But, Dan, let's get to a, a couple of these questions here, if that's all right. Okay, let's fire away. Okay, so this, uh, this man is named Gadgets. That's an interesting name. But he wanted to know um, – he thinks the, Tro- the Trojans would have been stronger with Mark Sanchez and his experience coming back against teams like Ohio State and Notre Dame. I, th- I think that does make sense. He wondered okay. if, if Pete Carroll's concern, if that was Pete Carroll's concern in not wanting him to go to the NFL. Um, I, I don't know if it's specific like that um, as much. I think the biggest concern with it was, I mean, obviously I, I do think he had Sanchez's interest in mind, and I, I truly believe that Carroll did think he'd be a better quarterback if he stayed and started for another year in college. That being said, I mean, like, you know, USC had plenty to lose by, by Sanchez leaving, mostly because, I mean, they would have returned an offense with 10 starters, including a quarterback, who would have been a Heisman Trophy candidate, and, you know, and, and they do play that tough schedule. I, I, you know, I think that there's, there's something to be said for that. I think, though, the biggest concern was just, I mean, you don't want to have to indoctrinate a new quarterback again and uh, another Another spring, I mean, you know, they got relatively lucky, I guess, in the fact that the transition to Sanchez went so seamlessly, you know, um, that where they didn't have to they didn't have to worry as much. This is going to be a little bit of a different kind of quarterback battle because they don't have anybody who's got any real career starts at USC. I mean, Mitch Mustaine has starts, but, I mean, that feels like an eternity ago when he was starting at Arkansas. I mean, so I think that's part of the concern, too. And I think it's a, I think it's a good concern to have. I mean, I shouldn't say a good concern. It's a real concern, you know, when it comes into this offense. I mean, but one of the things that, I, you know, I, I've learned from talking to some of these players is that guys are, guys are super confident that that the process is going to be made so much easier by the fact that they're returning everybody, essentially. You know what I mean? That it's not like you've got, you know, two new offensive linemen, you know, a pair of new receivers, and you're trying to break in a running back, too. I mean, they've got everybody that they want back. I mean, essentially, other than Sanchez and Patrick Turner, I mean, everybody else is back on offense. Right. And, you know, I mean, that's going to make that transition, I think, a lot easier for whoever's going to be the quarterback. All right. That's cool. So hopefully Gadgets, that answered your question. Then one last one from Kevin. This has to do with red shirts, and I think a lot of people, I don't know if they just play, like, the NCAA football game and you always want to, like, save people for red shirts and stuff. But Pete Carroll completely does not think that way. But – he, he was saying that he feels that some USC fans feel that Stephon Johnson and, and Vidal Hazleton wasted their freshman year by barely playing when they could have redshirted. He wanted to know what, you know, what recruits and players do you think are going to redshirt this season? And he wanted specifically like guys like Drew McAllister, Patrick Hall, or DJ Shoemate to save their eligibility since their respective positions are almost set on the depth chart. And that, you know, I can, I mean, your boys, Drew McAllister, there's no way they're going to redshirt him. I mean, that there's, if no. there's any chance of a guy's going to play special teams, whatever, Pete Carroll will not redshirt. I mean, that's just not his philosophy. He's never been that way. You, dude, you're mowing my lawn and answering my question. I'm sorry. I just, you know. 
<laughs> go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Do you like that expression? I love that expression. Yeah. Um, no, uh, okay, so who are the guys? McAllister? No, he's not going to redshirt. I can't imagine them redshirting a sophomore, unless he's hurt. Yeah, and a Patrick Hall or I mean, DJ I mean, Shoemate. I mean, Patrick Hall, maybe. Um, you know, but again, like you said, I mean, if there's a chance for him to play, I, I mean, I feel like they don't, they don't operate like that. I think partly because, I mean, you, you to harken back to, to the Sanchez example, I think part of the reason why Sanchez left was that he'd already been here four years. And, you know, and, and he was ready to go. I mean, you know, <clears throat> so just because you, a guy has eligibility, there's no guarantee they're going to keep him all five years anyway. You know, so, I mean, I think that if you can use him right away when he's here, and he can help make the team better. I think P. Carroll's going to do that. I, I think there's no doubt in my mind. Now, <clears throat> I think maybe one of the higher-profile guys who could maybe catch a red shirt would be Devon Kennard. I think as, as a guy who's potentially, because he's coming off a knee surgery, and, and you know, I think that, that that is maybe something that could happen. I, I know that they're very hesitant to, you know, when it comes to out-of-state recruits to, to redshirt anybody, they don't like to do that. Um, you know, they did it last year. They kind of broke their own rule with Bryce Butler, and you know, it almost cost them. I mean, Bryce Butler said he, you know, he gave serious consideration to transferring. You know, that he, he hated redshirting. That you know, he didn't get a chance to. You know, you know, I mean, it's disheartening. You know, and that's a tough adjustment when you're used to being like a stud freshman. You know, a stud high school player who. You know, I mean, the game plan centered around you and all that stuff, and then uh, you go from that to, you know, barely, to, to just working on the scout team, not seeing the field, not traveling and stuff like that. I mean, that can be tough on a kid, and and, and that's why I think that they try to avoid that. But, um, you know, I think injuries, though, is always <clears throat> is always the biggest factor. You know, you got to see who's healthy um, before you make any Richard decisions. I think if Pete Carroll could have it his way, I don't think he would Richard anybody. Yeah, I, I mean, his philosophy, every... yeah, his like, like a bird in the hand is worth like three or four in the bush, according to Pika. Like he, if you can play, if you can contribute, there's no guarantee you're going to be here next year. I want you to play right now. And I think that's just the philosophy he goes by. Yeah, no. And, and I mean, and I think that's a big part of the reason why he's able to, to go get a lot of recruits is that, I mean, things like that, that, you know, I mean, truly a football team, you know, you can use so many different guys in so many different ways. One of the, one of the interesting things is that um, I had a good chance when we sat down last week, or was that last week or two weeks ago, to talk to the coaches. Um, and, and we talked to, to the new coaches, and we talked to special teams coordinator Brian Schneider. Um, and we were talking about the guys that, you know, kind of the guys that he looks to to kind of fill his special teams units. You know, and he's not, he doesn't have that mentality where, you know what, we're just going to take starters and we're just going to play starters. You know, he he said that the core of your special teams is going to be your, is your second team um, linebackers and your second team cornerbacks. Those are the guys that look to most to do that type of stuff. And then you know you fill it in with with speed guys and stuff like that. Well, let's say Patrick Hall, for instance, okay, a guy who's got great athleticism, you know, is a guy who can help them on special teams. I they're gonna they're gonna make that a point to sell him. Uh, on special teams, you know what I mean? And, and to say, here's a chance where you can help us today. And you know what? As guys make contributions on special teams, coaches are more inclined to say, hmm, you know, maybe he's a guy we should give more of a serious look to, you know, at safety or, 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 or whatever, wherever they end up using Patrick Hall, you know? So uh, I think that that's how they sell special teams. 
All right, so hopefully that answered your question, Kevin. I know a lot of fans do like to see players stockpiled, but that's just not the way Pete Carroll thinks. He, you know, he can go recruit another five-star guy the next year and he can just replace guys if he needs to. But Dan, it's a great video game strategy, though. It is. It is. I love doing that on the video game. I haven't played it for a while, but I, it was. Encourage, yeah, I was gonna say I highly encourage that. You know, I mean, only <laughs> if a guy's gonna start. That's the only way I, I don't Richard a guy. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, thanks for your time uh, this segment. And uh, we got an exciting one coming up. You might want to stick around and listen to uh, Coach Carlisle's interview. I would love to. All right. Everyone else, we'll be back. <laughs> Super quick break. We're going to hear from USC Strength and Conditioning Coach Chris Carlisle. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. And yesterday, I got a chance to sit down with strength and conditioning coach Chris Carlisle in his office, uh, talking about the winter workouts and what the team is doing heading into the spring. All right, we're here with uh, Coach Carlisle and his uh, luxurious office down here in the spacious. <laughs> spacious. I like to say spacious. That's it's, cool. it's more of a palace than an office, but the, uh, uh, nothing's better than this. The bowels <laughs> of Heritage Hall, and I thank for joining us today. Appreciate the time. There's no problem. Glad uh, glad to be here. I, I really look forward to this kind of stuff. Yeah, we we have a bunch of questions from uh, users today for the podcast, but uh, just I guess in general, you guys are in the mental middle of uh, winter workouts. Just kind of give us a well. You know, really, we're, we're like. at the end of of, of winter workouts. Oh. We've finished eight weeks of work. Uh, or this is our eighth week, and then we go to spring break, and then we're going to come back. Uh, Coach Carroll pushed spring ball back a week because of the new coaches. He wanted to get everybody on the same page. So instead of starting on the Tuesday after spring ball, we're starting on Saturday the 28th of oh. March. And so so we're really coming to the end. We're rolling to the end, and uh, and, and we're really excited about uh, spring ball. I think the kids are more expi- excited right now about spring break. But spring <laughs> ball comes in very close there. <laughs> How, how have they been going so far? How would you rate these compared Things to other are great. years? Things are great. The kids are working their their tails off. We've had uh, we've had one missed workout the whole the whole winter, and so we're we're you know that's uh, eighty five guys, and that's four times a week, and and you know I've had one guy who missed a workout, and <clears throat> there was a legitimate reason, but our rules are you have two rules: you uh, you're you're early. And you communicate, and he didn't do either of those, and so he, he had to pay the price. Which you know, he, uh, oddly enough, he hasn't, nor his friends have not missed another workout. So, so it, uh, it you know, it, it sets a tone, and, and they understand what's right and wrong. So, is there a severe punishment for uh, for missing one? Or you know, I don't like to use that? the term punishment. <laughs> I like to, you know, an attitude adjustment. You know, okay. it really helps. <laughs> you, usually, there's not uh, there's not re- repeat of offenders. So, you know, use your imagination. So, I have. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I see those guys rolling on the field sometimes. Seems that doesn't seem like I'm a lot of fun. I don't know. No, no, yeah. that's 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 the bush league one. That's not ours. Okay. That's that's, <laughs> that, that's the coaches getting the guys to class. Uh, ours is ours is a little bit different. So it's 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 top secret. It's the only All thing right. I hold secret in this in this whole uh, training. So I'll answer any questions you have. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's get to some of these. Um, 
William Bentley wanted to know how much is flexibility emphasized in the overall workout program and what kind of techniques and techniques you use for that like yoga or things like that well um, flexibility is a key one of the keys if we look at our total program and William I'm going to go ahead and expand upon this if we look at our trainable attributes the speed agility power endurance and strength uh, then if you if we put that into uh, almost a, 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 a globe situation the things that hold it together the the, the poles of this are, are flexibility and core strength and so flexibility is one of the key parts that holds all of our movement together so we use a dynamic movement type program that will allow our athletes to move better on the field uh, I would like to use yoga but because of NCA regulations uh, we're restricted on having anybody that is not part of the athletic staff run a, uh, a yoga uh, uh, program just for our football players. They can take a yoga class to the client, through the university, but uh, with the number of hours they have to have to stay eligible and everything, it just doesn't work really, really well. So the work we've done, uh, we've got tremendous uh, trainers and physical therapists that work with us. Um, Russ Romano is our head trainer, one of the best trainers in, in the country. Uh, the physical therapist at the university here is John Meyer, and he works with Steve Reichel and a bunch of other doctors who've helped us to organize our plan of uh, flexibility to help our athletes stay uh, flexible and in better shape because with flexibility comes strength and speed and all the dynamics that we want to have a better athlete come out of. Probably injuries too helps with prevent. Well, you know, if, 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 we're, if we work with that, then, then, then you don't have to worry about injuries, but injuries occur. This, this is such an explosive, powerful game that uh, if you ever hear anybody say, well, you know, if you do this, you'll never have this kind of injury, you're always going to have injuries. Florida had five or six ACLs last year. Uh, we've had ankle injuries, and we've had a hamstring injuries, and we've had uh, shoulder injuries. And, and you've looked around the universities around the country, they all seem to have a bunch of uh, injuries, and, and, and for, for no other reason than it just stuff happens. And I said stuff because this is a podcast. I don't know who's listening <laughs> to this. So, so anyway, but, uh, you know, so it's one of those things that we've got to be aware of all the time. Our kids are working on it constantly, and we do use outside sources to help us develop our program. Cool. All right, next one up is uh, from Guy. He wanted to know if you could expand on Is this your my friend? Guy, yeah, EF, yeah, yeah Guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, hey, <laughs> if Guy's listening now, you my man. Guy is my guy. All right. He, He's going to love about, that. Yeah. I tell you about Guy. Guy was one of the guys when we first got here, you know, eight and a half years ago, whatever, nine years ago, whatever we've been here now. That was one of the first guys to come up and introduce himself and, and, and help me to understand what USC was all about. And, and he, he's just one of my favorites out there. You know, he comes, I don't see, I used to see him all the time, and I don't see him as much. But, uh, you know, uh, if guys listening, then hey, you know, you, you, you're, you're, you're my boy. You're my boy, guy. <laughs> he will definitely love that. Oh, great, great. He just wanted to know if you could expand on your concept of finish. You guys have that finish on like shirts and stuff like that. Sure. You know, uh, finish is just a concept of, of, don't allow anything not to you know, not not to play at your best. And so every drill we do, we have our athletes finish beyond what is a normal area. And you know, if you watch our kids work, they, they they play to the echo of the whistle. They don't play to the sound of the whistle. They play through the echo to the echo of the whistle. And and so it's it's about finishing the season. It's about finishing each game. It's about finishing your workout. It's about finishing your classes. Everything in life is about finish. Those people who finish completely always have success, and so we want that part of it to be part of our program. Uh, something that Coach Carroll brought brought in when, when we all came in together, and so we just expanded it out in in a day-to-day uh, atmosphere with our off-season 
through the winters and then through the summers and then even into the season we still work about finish cool all right oh yeah i'll definitely love that yeah. um <laughs> long i'll try to shorten this up um considering both your drive to compete and your unique conditioning style and program what led you into conditioning as a vocation um i tell you i, I think my master's degree in history got me <laughs> <laughs> no I, I, you know i've been coaching 25 years i've been a high school level i've been a junior college level and when I was working through the high school level, I knew I wanted to get to the college level. When I got to the junior college level, um, I, I found that football coaches actually spend less time with the athletes than I like doing. And so I found the avenue to be with athletes more and have more of a lasting effect, a long-term effect with them, was through strength conditioning coach. And so I started working that, working that way um, back in 91, 92 at the University of Arkansas with John Stuckey. And then I went back into coaching, and then I had a chance to go back at the University of Tennessee with Coach Stuckey when he moved there <laughs> in '98. And then, uh, and then, uh, then when Coach Carroll called to bring me out here, and so really, it's been uh, uh, where I want to be. I want to be in the Division One college. I want to be the best college in the country, and, and this is it. So, so that's how I kind of got into it. I wanted to be in college. Uh, football was was a vehicle I'd used to get into coaching, and. And, and then strength conditioning came out of that. So it's, 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 I don't know, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've always done. Back in high school, uh, you know, uh, working with Coach Lanius, my offensive line coach, and, you know, you know, there's my best buddy, Keith Sims, working out. And, you know, all of us out there all the way through high school and college have always been a weight room guy. And it, it just was part of my lifestyle. And, and so it was just, you know, the way we do things. And so it just was a natural progression for me. Yeah, for those who don't know, you get to spend a lot more time with these kids than Coach Carroll does, right? Sure. I mean, that's well, that. you know, during January when they're out recruiting, I'm with the, with the athletes. Uh, of course, in January and February, they're up in meetings. We're still working with them. During the summer, the NCA does not allow the coaches to have contact with the athletes anytime they're training. It's it's a it's a uh, there's a lot of terminology that the NCA uses, but they cannot come into contact in the weight room or out on the fields working and so so really I'm with them during that time and and so we've got to keep what coach Carroll and his staff wants wants to be part of and wants them to understand and become part of their life we've got to keep doing that all through the year all right uh, next one is from Robert he wanted to know he had two questions what age should kids begin a serious workout regimen and then who are your all-time top three workout warriors you've seen in the program? <laughs> um, you know an age for kids to, to start lifting weights, you know, I would say really to be serious in lifting weights, I, I would have to say into their junior, senior year of high school and not even doing max reps then. Um, you know, I've got a nine-year-old and he hasn't touched weight. We, we, we throw uh, power balls around, different weighted power balls. We work with, uh, you know, running and, and, and movement skills because that's the key. It's not about lifting weights. It's about teaching athletes and, and young kids how to move. And, and the weight room, it, it can come. What happens is if you start training young kids too soon, they have growth plates in the joints that will, be, that will, that will start to harden prematurely, which can, can lead to other problems in development with the athlete. And so really you want to stay away from you know, push-ups, sit-ups, and those kind of things, core work and everything, med ball throws, running, are all acceptable things. But I would stay away as long as I could from weightlifting. Okay. My favorite guys in the weight room, Gosh, I've got so many. I don't have three. I have I have 103, I think. <laughs> but you know, you have to go with Kenichi Adeze, uh, who you know BKU's a guy came in at 350, and left here at 275 and 9% body fat. Sean Cody 
still comes in and works with us. Uh, Ryan Khalil was one of the best. Um, you know, it, it just uh, Cedric Ellis was one of those guys that started. You know, he was a tough kid to work with in the beginning, and he didn't really buy in, but all of a sudden he bought in and, and has really developed. And, you know, you, there's guys like Taylor Mays on this, on this team that are just a joy to be around. They just come to work every day, and it's just a lot of fun to be around them. Yeah, you got Kenichi's, uh jersey up there, signed jersey on the wall, so definitely he's a favorite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if they give me jerseys, I mention them. You know, I, hey, Troy Palomalu signed a picture for me, card. You know, but, you know, I it's just one of those things. These guys, you know, you, you can yeah, people say, "What's your favorite NFL team?" And, and you know, you know, who am I watching? And it, it's 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 all about the USC players. You know, I'm watching the Super Bowl, and and you know, Troy. You know, I wanted him to win, and, and Deuce and Matt, I wanted them to win, and and you know, the Bengals are on, and there's Frosty, and there's there's Keith and and Carson. You know, and then the the, the Falcons. You know, with, with uh, uh, Big Sam and and Ryan with Carolina. You know, it just hey, whoever the Trojans are, I want them to win. So. You can hear the workouts going on behind us in the back. Yeah. Well, we are in the weight room. Yeah. <laughs> so I apologize for that, but that, I'm sure you can hear us okay. Um, Derek actually sent in a couple questions. Um, one of the ones you want to know, and maybe this is Kenichi Udezu you just mentioned, is there any USC football player that surprised you with how much they've been able to change their body through hard work? You know, Deuce Latouille is probably the best story. You know, Deuce came in, he was like 398 when he came in. <laughs> and the first, you know, when he'd come in from the, the junior college, and you know he just he was just a biscuit short of 400, and and you know, and he probably had that after he left here. So to go from 398 down to 330 in two years was a tremendous change. And here you saw a young man that had bounced around through a couple junior colleges, played for us for two years, and then was a second round draft choice uh, by the Cardinals, and you know is you know was making his way and has done a, a tremendous job and so so Deuce was a heck of a change you know that that was a great train change uh, Matt Leinert coming in at 190 pounds out of high school and leaving at 240 pounds was a great change too you know he came in as a as a lamp post and 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 left as a Heisman Trophy winner so you know it was it was a great change around and then there's you know the great kids like Troy and Reggie and those guys that came in they were Keith Rivers they, they developed but you knew they were going to develop they came in from day one and, and were, were ready to go in hard work so. yeah those aren't those those aren't surprising guys when you no, see a maze or a river or something. They were huge when they got yeah, exactly. Yeah. One other from Derek. Um, are there any different movement exercises and focus for, say, wide receivers than there are for running backs or tight ends? Sure. You know, um, there, there are basic movements, rope patterns like ropes and ladders and bags and stuff that you, we work on quite a bit. But but when we start working specific uh, uh, modalities of training with with offensive linemen and defensive linemen and wide receivers and defensive backs, they all have different patterns they need to work on. And so we really... Uh, start emphasizing that as we get into the summer. Right now is getting everybody back into their strength and their uh, the ability to move, uh, and, and so they're going to be a little better than they were in the su- in the fall. But when we start the summer, that's where we start working on individual traits that they have to improve on. And that's I think that's one of the great things that Coach Carroll does is he draws such a a clear picture. You know, it's a, it's 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 a three dimensional. It's HD, and, and the picture he draws about what he wants this guy to be able to do. Here's what he lacks, and here's what he does. And so when you see me standing on the sidelines and I'm watching practice, I, I'm watching what kids can and can't do. And, and Coach Carroll and I will talk, or or John Morton, or Coach Rule, or, or one of those guys will say, "Hey, you know, watch this guy. He's got a he's got a misstep here. Or he, you know, he he has a problem getting out of this position." And so we'll start developing programs around teaching this guy. How do you get better out of that position? 
Yeah, I mean, the one thing I, I mean, I'm impressed by a lot of stuff, but one of the things I was really impressed with is like the, the knowledge you have of each and every guy and what they have to do for reps and stuff. I mean, how do you keep track of a hundred different guys like that? That's not hard. I mean, that's all I, the problem is I, I only know about 150 names. So if, <laughs> if I forget people's names, it's because I got these guys. You, you work with them every day. This is, this is, this is no different than, than a person working on the computer or a person working in, in banking or whatever. They, they know a hundred different accounts and they know what all, everybody does. You know, I work with these kids, and I see these kids every day. That I see them move, and they change direction, and I see them develop from when they're a freshman to the time, you know, through the NFL and everything. And 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 so there's always little things you can you can improve upon. And so we're constantly working on these guys. And 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 I think that's one of the great things about recruiting that that, that Coach Carroll and the staff does is they they don't only bring in five star athletes; they bring in five star kids. Kids who want to get better, who want to develop and want and understand that for me to play at USC, I've got to get better. And in order to, to play at USC, that means I'm going to be the best in, in, in college. And if I'm the best in college, then, then I'm going to be one of the best in the NFL. And it's just that, that kind of development that they come in with a, such an open mind that they want to get better. And when that happens, then, then it's very easy to work with them. Cool. All right, this one came from, he goes by, I think it's Sim Phoebe on the message boards. I don't know, they, these are usernames, Coach, right. now. So I, these were, yeah. um, He wanted to know if there's any stories of players who were kind of hard sells on the workout, but then they bought in and had great success. Well, I tell you, you know, I, I think one of the best ones is, uh, I, I mentioned already, is Cedric Ellis. Uh, Cedric, Cedric wasn't going to buy in, and, and so we... We did some fun things with him, and you know, and got him going the right direction, and and and, uh, and you know, all of a sudden, um, he he began to become one of the guys we really counted on, and and I asked him, it was it was going into you know during the senior year, standing on the sideline, we were winning the game, and I said, hey, said I said, I said, what, what what was the difference? What was the change? He said, you know what? He said, I just got tired of being wrong all the time. I just wanted to go ahead, and I thought, hey, he said, I, I just thought, screw it. And he didn't use those words, but, you know, <laughs> he said, screw it. I'm just going to go ahead and show up. So he started showing up and showing up. He said, and all of a sudden, I started looking to me as a leader, and I liked it. And so he said, I kept showing up, and, and then I had to work harder and harder because everybody was sort of working with me. And so Cedric was one of those guys that just was an amazing change from the time he was a freshman to the time he was a senior that, uh, you know, he's, he, he was a, he's a great story and a great kid and, and a great worker, and, and he's going to do so well in life because he, he understood. He bought in. So, so that's one of them. Was he one that kind of just reshaped his body? Because if you look at his dad, I mean, I think there's there's big genes in his family. Oh, yeah, I mean, they're big yeah. people. Yeah, he yeah, was big. I'll tell you what, I, yeah, he, <laughs> he had the genetic. And don't don't get me wrong, you know, there's not many miracles. You know, I, there, there there are there are there are two two miracle physiological miracles. There's 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 and, and oddly enough, it's um, is my best friend, a guy named Keith Sim. Just he just a, a hoss. And and then there's uh, uh, Cedric Ellis that just you know went from guys who just didn't to they they morphed into this uh, development. We, I mean we added dumbbells in the weight room. We, we used to go up to I think it was 160 dumbbells, 160 pound dumbbells. When we got here and Cedric was going into his senior year, we had to bump it out, and now we have 200 pound dumbbells. <laughs> and so he was doing sets of five, alternating 30 degree dumbbell. Uh, um, presses with 200 pound dumbbells so that's the cedric ellis annex that we put onto the dumbbell rack and that was that was of course uh, the ability to uh, uh, i mean it just he he just bought in and, and it's been incredible does he have any records still that, that you guys that you guys keep or i don't know well, if you share that yeah stuff. you know he's he, you know he's a 510 bencher but 
you know, I, I think uh, one of the great stories of Cedric as, as a junior, and you really have to be here to see me recreate this because yeah. it's so dramatic, okay? I was up for an Oscar on this one. <laughs> anyway, um, so, so Cedric, going into his junior year, um, hit 475, and, 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 he, and he pushed it up pretty easy. And he got 510, and, and it took like 10 seconds to push it up, and he was struggling, and he got it up, yay. So we're getting ready to go into his senior year, and he's now, he was pressing 160-pound dumbbells. Now he's doing 200-pound dumbbells, okay? And so, you know, he, you know he, I know he's stronger, okay? And so when he goes into getting ready for testing, 475, boop, boop, real quick, just two reps, just hit it like it was, like it was, it was 135 pounds. I mean, it just, he just bounced him off his chest. And he looked at me and said, Coach, what, what should I go to now? I said, I think you should go home right now. He goes, no, no, Coach, Coach, I, 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 I think I can get, you know, like 530, 535. I said, I don't doubt it. I think you can. But what happens if we go ahead and tear a pec or, or, or sublux your shoulder? I mean, there's no job out there that's going to pay Cedric Ellis a $20 million signing bonus coming out. And so I didn't need to see him lift that much weight. I knew he could. And all I get up there on the wall is, is a piece of plastic that said Cedric Ellis, 535 pounds. Now there's one up there that's 510. But he could have done a lot more, but we didn't need to see it because as a junior, he was an All-American. Uh, he won the Maxwell Trophy, which was the best defensive lineman in the Pac-10. And, and so he goes to his senior year, again, wins the Maxwell Trophy. He's an All-American, first-round draft choice, and gets a check with, without ever touching 535. But we know it's there, but he didn't have to show it because we knew his resume of work from the work that he had done all year long. We knew how much he could do, but we didn't need to see it on a bar. So, so you know, that's one of those stories about Cedric that, that you know, is one of those I talk a lot about in that our philosophy here is how to, how fast, how much. It, we really don't focus on how much. Stuff happens. I, I, my, my question when I get to a group is how many, how, how many 500-pound benches has USC had in the last seven years? And, you know, 8, 12, 15, 1. It was Cedric Ellis all the way up to this year. And then Nick Howell hit 500 on, on his bench. All right? So, you know, it's kind of if you're a 500-pound bencher, you're going to become a 500-pound bencher. And these guys developed into it because of their hard work. I'm not saying everybody else isn't, but it's not something we progress to. We don't spend enough time uh, between reps and sets. We don't focus on the bench press. It's the last thing we do on Tuesday. It's the last thing we do on Friday after we've done all our jumping, all our flexibility, all our core work, all our powerball throws, uh, all our squats and all this. And then, then we go to bench. It's like it's almost like the ice cream at the end of a meal. You know, It's the last thing we worry about, but we put it out there because we know everybody will go through all the – all the uh, the spaghetti and all the liver and all the cauliflower and all the stuff <laughs> to get to that ice cream at the end. So you know they'll they'll do all the work we need and they'll get the bench at the end. And you know so it's at the end of a workout after we went Monday and Tuesday. And so benching to us isn't big. So so the numbers that we get, they're not really important. It's it's the ability for an athlete to move. Technique is how to. How fast is the speed of movement and how much is the amount of weight or the number of reps or or number of of, of sets you're going to do and that's the last thing if a guy's doing great technique with great speed then, then we know that they, we can add it on how much comes naturally it's not something we force on our athletes alright well the next question kind of has to do with that's the best a long one, that, well, that's alright yeah. you, know, well, you, you asked me can you expand on you, to, you know me right you better have two tape recorders here because I'm going to go people are turning this thing off now. no no they're, they're going to definitely right. love this this will be our most popular podcast ever I'm guaranteed um, a guy nicknamed in the know he wanted to know um, 
a small breakdown of your workouts, but there's so many things there. But you had a specific question of like how much rest does each player get on the bench press? You know, it, it's we're, we're probably let, let's put three people on the bench press, okay? So one guy goes, one guy spots, and the other guy is, has his book and he's looking for his next weight. So the guy, guy number one finishes. Guy number two comes in, gets on the bench. He does his reps. Guy number, the guy that was spotting now is holding the book. So whatever a three-man rotation is, so it might be a minute, it might be a minute and a half. Um, the thing that we don't want to do, our 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 weight programs uh, that we have. Uh, we can go an hour and 40 minutes because our kids have to get to class. So if we have the 6 a.m. group, we have kids that have to get to class at 8. So I can't go till 8 because they're going to be late for class. So I only go till 7.40 so they can go ahead and shower and get to class. Um, about 45 minutes an hour of that is based in movement. Our, on Monday, we do speed, we do our agility, we do our core, abdominal, low back area. And then we come in and do most of our Olympic stuff and our one-legged movements. Uh, and then we'll go out and run conditioning after that. On Tuesday, we come back. We do plyometrics, which is jumping. We do power ball throws, which are our medicine balls, which are rubber that bounce. They're, they're cool things that Spark puts out. Yeah. Uh, we do core, and then we do uh, come in. We do our squats. We do our bench. We do our our, our bench auxiliary work, our triceps and our shoulders. Uh, I'm sorry. We do back and bicep on Monday, and then and then we uh, if we have any running to do, uh, it'll be quick. But uh, most of that is on Tuesday is spent doing um, uh, skills, uh, hand fighting uh, um, with our with our defensive line and our wide receivers, uh, eye hand coordination stuff we do with all our our skilled our skilled athletes. Uh, you know, so we're working on sp- uh, specialty items on those kind of days. Then we take Wednesday off, and we come back on Thursday. We work a different kind of speed, a different agility, and uh, and core again. Uh, we actually have four different core programs: two different speed, uh, an upright speed, and a quick burst speed, a change of direction speed, agilities. We have 17 different kinds of agilities. Core, like I said, we had four programs of that. Uh, you know, uh, on on Monday we'll do jerks, and and on Thursday we'll do snatch. On uh, Monday we'll do hang cleans. On Thursday, so so you're doing a lot of stuff, but our, but our turnover is very quick because we only have about 30 minutes to get all our work in the weight room done, and it's about an hour workout. But because we don't spend a lot of time between reps, we don't get the maximal numbers that everybody's looking at. The you know how many 500 pound benches do you have? We got one, okay, um, and so it's not an important thing. Uh, a lot of teams we played, some of the bigger teams, they've had nine, ten, twelve, and we've been okay. We've not physically been <laughs> beaten. It, it, it comes to a situation that we believe that if we move better than our opponent and get them in bad situations because of our speed and our ability to move, that we're going to win more games. And so it's not something we focus on. Seems to work so far. Yeah. Okay. Well, we I know we got to let you get out there. We got one last one, if that's okay. Uh, it's Kazakhs, I think. I don't know how you pronounce his name. All right. Uh, is there a player that's made the biggest strides from the end of the season to now regards to speed, strength, physique, stuff like that? Well, I promise you the guy that has really ch- changed around, you're going to see it, is Anthony McCoy this year. Just, uh, you know, Anthony came out of high school. He's a 260-pound wide receiver. Uh, in between the first and second practice, he moved from wide receiver to tight end, okay? And he was just a soft body. He was a, he was a 20% body fat kind of guy. And now he's down to like 11% body fat. He's still 260 pounds. You know, he, he's he's running four fives in the 40s. Uh, I think he went 36, 37 inches on a vertical jump. He went over 10 foot on a standing long jump. The guy is just really just focused in and, and, and has done, you know, from the time he was a freshman to the time he is now, he's really made the most dramatic change physically 
and 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 mentally and emotionally the kid is just really bought in and really has changed and so you know those that's what we're talking about with those five-star kids that you know they they bring in kids that really want to change and and sometimes it takes you know some kids it takes a month to change some some kids their bodies just have to develop into that position and and it takes a couple years and he's an example of a guy who's taken a couple years though he had a good year last year uh red ellison another tight end is right up there as kind of a worker and and a kid who's really developed into it Uh, you know i i I probably do 25 kids right now that really have made uh dramatic changes of of where they were and where they're at now well, Coach, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's no problem. Hey, I, I appreciate you guys. And, and keep sending uh, questions to Ryan. And any chances we got, we'll, we'll answer your questions. And, and I'm glad to do it to, to help you understand what, what I'm doing here and, and help you understand what the kids go through during the year. Anyway, I appreciate you guys. Fight on now. All right. Thank you. That's our podcast for this week. I want to thank Gerard Martinez, Dan Wyke, and, of course, Chris Carlisle for joining us in the podcast this week. We'll be back next week with another exciting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.